This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. I wanted to first and foremost, of course, welcome everyone to the prophetic Ramadan class that we are uh, conducting live online, inshallah, for everyone's benefit worldwide. And I pray and I hope that inshallah you're having a very blessed month of Ramadan and a very uh, productive first half of the month of Ramadan. And, um, you know, today's uh, broadcast and class is going to be focusing on observing the month of Ramadan from the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the class and kind of dispel with the formalities. Uh, we appreciate you logging on and kind of waiting here with us for a couple of minutes. Apparently, we had so many people logging on that the servers were having some issues. But inshallah, hopefully you're able to log on to the class and inshallah tune in and be able to uh, partake in the class inshallah. So... I wanted to first and foremost share my thought process and, if you will, somewhat of the philosophy uh, behind the class. So, the month of Ramadan is the best month of the Islamic calendar. These are some of the most blessed days and blessed nights of the year. Uh, this is one of the most blessed times of the year. And when thinking about how to maximize our benefit during this month of Ramadan and really observe it to the best of our abilities, it just logically made sense that why not go and look and study and observe how did the best of humanity, Muhammad Rasulullah wasallam, the Prophet of God, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, how did he observe the month of Ramadan? So how did the best of humanity observe the best of the calendar, the best month, the month of Ramadan. And of course, this is by no means um, some you know, revolutionary thought or idea on my part. Um, classically speaking, our scholars have you know, written pages upon pages, chapters upon chapters, volumes, volumes upon volumes about how the Prophet wasallam he observed the month of Ramadan. So when I myself kind of reflected and thought about that you know, a couple of years ago, and alhamdulillah, we put together a class that I taught a few different places here around the state. Um, you know, increasingly we kept having people ask us about this class, you know, being provided online. And so alhamdulillah, we were able to, you know, put that together and um, we were able to make this happen, particularly, you know, with the help and the support of our, you know, dear friends, our partners over at Islamic Relief USA. And inshallah, I'm going to be talking about that with you myself and also inshallah, some of the, um, you know, very hardworking uh, folks and the leadership over at Islamic Relief. They'll inshallah be speaking to you a little bit later as well uh, about, you know, how we can really take these lessons from the Ramadan of the Prophet ﷺ and implement them within, inshaAllah, our uh, practice of the month of Ramadan. So to go ahead and get started, inshaAllah, what I will be doing here today is I will be breaking up the discussion, inshaAllah, the class itself, into five sections. The first four sections are going to be talking about the observation of four um, different um, moments, Ramadan moments, from the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
And then the fifth and the final uh, portion of the class, inshallah, will be the conclusion in which I will kind of wrap things up and share just some thoughts and reflections and some action items about how we can, inshallah, make the most of, you know, the month of Ramadan that we have uh, remaining with us. So the very first, you know, chapter or section of the class, inshallah, I would like to address here today is remarkably the very first Ramadan from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And that is the Ramadan that started it all. The very first Ramadan where everything changed, you know, um, till the end of time. The world would never be the same place ever again. And interestingly, just on a technical academic point, that very first Ramadan from the life of the Prophet ﷺ that I'm speaking about was not... Ramadan the way that we know it today. It was not the Ramadan not the Ramadan that we would necessarily recognize with the fasting and the taraweeh and you know the 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 fitra the sadaqat al-fitr being given at the end and then the you know celebration of Eid um, the next following day after Ramadan concludes. It was not in that particular packaged form. We will get to that in just a moment. The very first Ramadan is the Ramadan in which the Prophet ﷺ received divine revelation. And so this is basically referred to as Imam Bukhari rahimullah ta'ala and his sahih refers to it as Bad'ul Wahi. This is the beginning of revelation. And that was in the month of Ramadan and the Qur'an informs us of that. Shahru Ramadan, alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an, hudal linnasi wa bayyanatim min al-huda wal-furqan. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an itself, Allah says that the month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an was sent down. Revelation was initiated, revelation began, revelation was sent down, and prophethood was bestowed upon the Prophet ﷺ. His mission was started during the month of Ramadan. And there's a lot of discussion exactly when it was during the month of Ramadan. Uh, Ibn Kathir ta'ala, who goes through all the different um, theories and opinions and narrations that are present about what particular day in the month of Ramadan that, that might have been, um, he seems to conclude that it was the 24th of the month of Ramadan. And so it was the month of Ramadan. And what's very fascinating is that the Prophet ﷺ in the months leading up to um, the beginning of Revelation, he, as the narration in Sahih Bukhari mentions, that حُبِّبَ إِلَيْهِ الْخَلَاءِ the Prophet ﷺ became very attached to the idea of you know, um, secluding himself, kind of uh, receding away from the noise that goes on in the world around us and finding some quietude, finding some very quiet, private, intimate moments to be able to reflect and spiritually connect and really come to the realization of the universal truths and realities that are so necessary for humanity um, to be able to live a meaningful life. And particularly when the month of Ramadan set in, the Prophet ﷺ was even that much more inclined. And this is that fitra that, you know, by design the month of Ramadan was made for this particular purpose. And so this very first Ramadan from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, there are a few points that I'd like to make and a few lessons that I'd like to share from this. First and foremost is that the Qur'an was revealed. One of the very powerful reflections that one of our very senior teachers, he shared with us, and it has stuck with me and remained with me for a very long time, for almost 20 years now, that 
he mentioned that the very first revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the very first surah, the very first ayah, the very first word that was revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, to kind of backtrack a little bit, in an authentic narration from the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, the Prophet wasallam is narrated to have said that there were no prophets that were sent between Isa alayhi salam and the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. Six centuries had passed you know, on this world where there was no divine revelation. No prophets were sent with a mission. And imagine six, now somebody might say it's been 1400 years since the Prophet ﷺ, but we have the Qur'an that sustains us, that drives us, that nourishes us. Imagine six centuries going by in the world, and you don't have the powerful legacy, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. You don't have the Qur'an to sustain you, and to bring you out from the layers of darkness into the singular light of Allah ﷻ, as the Qur'an says, مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى nur. Imagine what the world could become like. And so truly the world had become a very very dark, very desperate, depraved place. The world was at its lowest point. And when the world was at its lowest point, after six centuries, the gates in the heavens, the gates of revelation, they opened once again. And revelation was sent down to this earth. Now picking up from where I left off, the very first revelation, the very first surah, the very first ayah, the very first word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke into this world after six centuries was the word iqra. And this changed the world. And I want us to kind of think and reflect for a moment what the word iqra actually means. And this is an exercise that I oftentimes will conduct in my classes with the students that the word iqra, how do we translate the word iqra? We translate it as read. Not recite, but read. Now what is exactly the difference? The word for recite, recitation is tilawa, utlu, right? To recite. But this is the word qira'a, iqra, read. And the difference in the Arabic language, while we are commanded to recite the Qur'an as well, but the difference, what, what distinguishes these two words from one another, is that recitation can be done without comprehension. Somebody can be reciting something and not completely comprehend it. But iqra, read, necessitates comprehension. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not only told us to read, like recite the Qur'an, but He told us to understand it, to reflect on it, to ponder upon it, to internalize it. And that changed the world. And, and what I want to draw as a lesson here for our sake in the month of Ramadan here, is that just like that Ramadan changed the world, Ramadan is a time of change. Ramadan is a month of change. Ramadan is a month of transformation. The Qur'an is a book of transformation. The legacy of the Prophet ﷺ is transformative. And all of this converges here in the month of Ramadan where we observe the Qur'an, we observe the fasting, we observe the prayer, we observe the traditions of the Prophet ﷺ, the sunan of our beloved messenger ﷺ. So Ramadan is a month of change and transformation. The second thing that I want to point out here as a reflection is that the month of Ramadan, as I will come back to in the fourth chapter, in the fourth section of our class, insha'Allah, since Ramadan was initiated by the revelation of the Qur'an, and as we will learn in the fourth section, that Ramadan would eventually at the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, once again be marked by the commitment to the Qur'an in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ramadan is a time for us to either 
for the first time, develop a connection and a relationship with the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and allow the Qur'an to become our guide, allow the Qur'an to become our moral compass, allow the Qur'an, make the Qur'an our... Um, Make the Qur'an the philosophy, the lens through which we view the world and how we live our lives, number one. And number two, maybe we already have had a relationship with the Qur'an previously. Well, Ramadan is a time to renew that connection and to then further develop that connection with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At-ta'alluq bi kalamillah. To really attach ourselves to the speech of God, to the Qur'an in the book of Allah. The third point that I'd like to make here about that very first Ramadan from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, and this one is just really powerful, very, very, um, you know, remarkable and very beautiful. And it shows the symmetry, the balance of our religion. You know, talking about the Qur'an and a commitment to the Qur'an um, really emphasizes our relationship with Allah. Allah or ta'alluq ma'Allah. But there is obviously the very necessary aspect of huqukul ibad. And so the third point that I'd like to share is something very beautiful. So when the Prophet ﷺ would go up to the cave of Hira in the mountain of Nur, Jabal Nur, Ghar Hira, when he would go up to the cave of Hira to seek you know, some quietude there, some reflection, and, and um, be able to seek out some solitude for the purposes of reflection and contemplation and introspection, he would be there for a number of days at a time. And the provisions of the Prophet ﷺ would sometimes run a little low, and he, would, he started to extend his stays. The longer that he would be staying, the, the more times he went back, the longer he would extend his stay. So Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, our mother, the mother of the believers, Khadija uh, radiallahu ta'ala anha, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, she would head out there with some extra provisions, and she would come and supply the Prophet ﷺ with provisions. And I want you to just for a moment kind of think about, you know, if you've ever gone for Hajj or Umrah, we, we take an Umrah group every year, the Sira Umrah tour in the spring. And uh, we actually take the entire group of the mountain of Nur to the cave of Hira, where we take them up there and then we teach them and we explain to them the beginning of Revelation, Bad'ul Wahi. And it is such a taxing, yet rewarding and fulfilling experience, but it's, it's quite difficult. A lot of people find it to be very uh, difficult and challenging. And the Prophet ﷺ was doing this, you know, at the age of 40. And Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha was going up and bringing him more provisions. But the point that I wanted to get to is that some of the people that were kind of around the area, and even when you go there today, you see that at the base of the mountain, there are people that live there. It's on the outskirts of Mecca. So similarly, there were some people that kind of lived on the outskirts of Mecca, and they were people who generally, financially, economically, were struggling. They didn't have much to eat. They didn't have much in the way of you know, financial resources and you know, food supplies and things of that nature. And they saw that this man, this very noble, you know, uh, remarkable, very blessed man, you know, they could just feel the aura of the Prophet ﷺ that he comes up here and he, they saw that he has a little sack with him, a little bag with him that, you know, has his provisions. And so they used to go up the mountain and come to the Prophet ﷺ seeking food. That we are hungry. We have hungry children. We have hungry families. 
Please show us some generosity and kindness. And subhanAllah, the Prophet ﷺ knew that I'm up here for a week and these are just enough provisions to last me barely a week. But the Prophet ﷺ, there's a beautiful hadith in which it mentions an authentic narration, كَانَ لَا يُسْأَلْ عَنْ شَيْءٍ إِلَّا أَعْطَاهُ The Prophet ﷺ, whenever he was asked for anything, he would never ever turn anyone away. He would never turn anyone down. He would always give it to them. So the Prophet ﷺ would share his food with them, would give his food to them. And some of the scholars have mentioned this particular reflection, الرَّحْمَةُ إِلَىٰ خَلْقِ اللَّهِ تَجْلِبُ رَحْمَةَ اللَّهِ That displaying mercy to the creation of God attracts the mercy of God. So being merciful to the creation of Allah attracts the mercy of Allah. And it is by no coincidence that the Prophet ﷺ was practicing such mercy, such generosity, such kindness. And that became the exact place, moment, time, frame, situation in which the Qur'an came, the divine revelation came, which is the greatest form of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to it in, uh, refers to it in the Qur'an, as rahmah hudan wa rahmatan liqawmi yu'minun. It is a mercy for those who are willing to believe, willing to listen and understand and internalize. So we realize here, the, the three lessons we've talked about, number one, Ramadan is a time, a month of transformation. Number two, Ramadan is a time to renew uh, our relationship with the Qur'an and strengthen our relationship with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number three, that the month of Ramadan is a month of charity, a month of feeding people, and a month of displaying and showing generosity and kindness to the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fourth and the final point that I'd like to make in this particular chapter and section, inshallah, is after the Prophet ﷺ received this divine revelation, it is the month of Ramadan, he heads home, he goes home and he's very overwhelmed by this powerful experience that he's had. The most powerful experience any human being has ever had. And he's shaken up by this. And we know the story, the Prophet ﷺ goes home and he's shaken up by this. And the Prophet ﷺ says, دَثِّرُونِي دَثِّرُونِي زَمِّلُونِي زَمِّلُونِي Cover me up, wrap me up in a blanket, in a shawl. And Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, the mother of the believers, she comforts and consoles the Prophet And she says some very interesting things about to inspire confidence and trust within the Prophet And she specifically mentions that, إِنَّكَ تَصِلُ rahim, That you are good to your family. You maintain good family relations. وَتَحْمِلُ kal, You lift up the downfallen, the downtrodden in society, those who fall through the cracks of society, you reach down and pick them up. Humanity, people, society forgets them, tramples them, steps over them, doesn't look down and notice them lying there within the cracks. But you stop and you reach down and you lift them up and you pick them back up. You take care of those who do not have the ability to take care of themselves. You look after those who can't look after themselves. You are extremely hospitable, hospitable and generous to your guests. And you are always the first one in line whenever a noble, worthy cause presents itself. And she says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never forsake you. 
The two things I'd like to point out from this particular interaction is number one, is that the, almost if you want to call it that, the, the, the evidence and the confidence that Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha had in the, you know, uh, prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was heavily rooted within his character. We need to learn to be people of character. Our Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a remarkable individual of character. Innaka la ala khuluqin azim. That was a proof of his prophethood. And Ramadan is a time where we have to develop that character. Keep in mind that very overwhelming, that very rattling hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he says that if you do not control your tongue while you are fasting, if you do not observe and are not careful about your conduct while you are fasting, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of you starving yourself, depriving yourself of water, being thirsty and hungry. God doesn't need you to do that. But you have to improve your character, you have to become a better person through the experience of the month of Ramadan. And we have to focus on our character this Ramadan, inshaAllah. And the second reflection here is that it is, it's something that cannot be ignored, it is something that is clear as day, that that character of the Prophet ﷺ was once again reflected in how he treated other people. How he conducted himself with others. How he cared for others, that care and that consideration. So, to, to review, the very first Ramadan of the life of the Prophet ﷺ that we've studied so far is the Ramadan in which the revelation began. We have four primary lessons. Number one, Ramadan has to be a time of transformation. That has to be our intention going into it. The Prophet ﷺ says, "Inna a'malu Actions are a consequence of the intentions. Actions are fueled by intentions. If we intend in the month of Ramadan to change ourselves, to transform ourselves, to better ourselves, that's exactly what will occur and what will happen. So Ramadan is a time of transformation. Number two is, it's a time to develop and strengthen and renew our relationship with the Qur'an, with the Book of Allah. Make the Qur'an your moral compass, your guide. Number three is Ramadan is a time of learning to be merciful and generous and kind towards the creation of God. Sadaqah, charity, mercy is very, very important this Ramadan. And fourthly and finally, is that Ramadan is a time where our character has to develop and our character must shine. Ramadan is a time where we have to develop our character and let our character do a lot of the talking on our part. You know, we, we, I would be remiss if I did not mention that we as a community have dealt with some very trying and difficult and confusing times you know, constantly, but very recently. And while we have, we have to vocalize and we have to really understand, you know, how we should navigate these situations and have something to say about these circumstances, but at the same time, there comes a time and a point and a place where our character has to do the talking on our part. Because actions do, without a doubt, speak louder than words. So that is the very first Ramadan from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And that is our first chapter, our first lesson here for the prophetic Ramadan class. Now, 
Inshallah, what I'm going to do here is as we transition from one chapter to another, one section from another in the class here, I'd like to use this as an opportunity to kind of segue and transition over to giving you an opportunity to immediately implement the lessons that we just talked about. And inshallah, we're joined here, as I mentioned before, by some of the very, you know, hardworking, remarkable folks over at Islamic Relief USA who are basically fulfilling a fard kifaya on our parts. Um, and um, inshallah, there'll be much you know, they're, they're a lot more capable of explaining, inshallah, what they're doing and how they're doing it. But I wanted to just, I'll, I'll myself share just a little bit of the points to, you know, hopefully encourage you to be as invested, inshallah, and kind of lead by example. But the first thing that I'll kind of talk about, and I'll share a little thought and reflection about some of their work and what they're doing, inshallah, as we continue on and proceed through the program. Um, the first point is, you know, about the Syrian crisis. Uh, the situation is that the Syrians are literally starving in the cities that they have been besieged within. Um, there are reports saying that there are up to 400,000 people that are trapped, you know, in this situation uh, in numerous cities and towns. There are places like Madaya where an estimated 40,000 people are trapped, like a death trap, where they can't get out and there's nothing getting into them. Um, at one clinic alone, more than uh, a dozen people have died from hunger, including six babies. Six babies in one clinic itself. Can you imagine the horror of watching six infants, innocent, beautiful gifts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, starving to death in front of your very eyes? This is a situation, very tragic situation that is playing out in the world that we live in. You know, the, the spirit of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that how can this occur while I am alive, while I exist in this world? So that type of burning, you know, compassion and, and, and um, concern is something we're desperately in need of. So inshallah, I'll be transitioning over um, and handing the mic over to uh, the folks here at Islamic Relief, inshallah. Please give them your full attention. Go online, contribute, donate, inshallah. And uh, right as soon as, inshallah, they're done sharing um, some of the opportunities with you, I'll be rejoining you for the second chapter of the class, inshallah, which will focus on the Battle of Badr. الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين إمام المتقين خيد الغر المحجلين نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم والعليه وأصحابه الطيبين الطاهرين my brothers and sisters this is your brother in Islam Azhar Aziz at Islamic Relief USA I want to begin my beloved Sheikh, Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangra, for um, giving us this opportunity. Extremely grateful to Qalam Institute for this partnership. Once again, Ramadan Kareem and Ramadan Mubarak to all of you. Truly a blessed month. As the Prophet ﷺ reminded us where he said, Atakum Shahru Ramadan, Shahrun Mubarak. This is a month of fasting, a month of Quran, a month of Laylatul Khadr, a month of. Uh, Mercy, a month of forgiveness, a month of salvation from hellfire, a month of generosity. This is a month in which our beloved Prophet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa used to be extra, extra generous. 
and his generosity has been described as karrihil mursala like a blowing wind when the wind blows it takes the blessings to everyone who is around there it doesn't pick and choose so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you and me again this beautiful opportunity to emulate our beloved prophet rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and be extra extra generous in this blessed month of ramadan on your screen you can see a donate button from islamic relief i would urge each one of you to click that button and give whatever you can every single penny counts every single dollar counts every single contribution counts and your contributions is going to bring a positive change into the lives of our brothers and sisters in syria who are going through a very difficult time for the past 5 years the united nations has said that the syrian crisis is one of the worst human humanitarian crisis in the world so let's take this responsibility and let's do our part strengthen the hands of islamic relief islamic relief is working in a very difficult environment collecting money from brothers and sisters like yourself and risking their own lives to deliver aid on your behalf to our brothers and sisters in syria i urge you to please call 855-447-1001 i'll repeat the number is 855-447 1001 or you can go online at irusa.org and donate generously you will see the donate button on your screen so please click that button and be extremely generous once a person said take time to make time for the one who made time i repeat take time to make time for the one who made time this is a month of quran This is a month in which Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala revealed Torah to Musa alayhi salam, Zubur to Daud alayhi salam. This is a month in which Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala revealed Injil to Isa alayhi salam. This is a month in which Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala revealed Quran to our beloved Prophet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is a month in which the battle of Badr took place. This is a month in which the conquest of Makkah happened. This is a month in which Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala opens up the doors of mercy and opens up the doors of heaven and closes the doors of of hell. This is a month in which Iblis is chained and locked and jailed. This is a month of mercy. So I urge each one of you to show your love, to show your compassion, to show your mercy towards our brothers and sisters in Syria who are going through some very difficult time. In last 5 years, more than 13 million people are displaced, out of which 5 and a half million people are children. 7.6 million people are food insecure. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed so many bounties, so many mercies on all of us. For you and me taking shower twice a day might be necessity of life. But for these individuals to have one cup of clean water to quench their thirst is luxury of life. For them to have or enjoy one piece of date in this entire month is luxury of life. for a small donation of $80 you can feed an entire family up to a month so this is a time for all of us to come together and do our part and be extremely generous to support our brothers and sisters in Syria i have been there i have served the syrians in zatri camp 
I have served them in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Kamdan and Laos, Biqa, Saida, that entire region bordering Syria. I have distributed aid, I have distributed food packages on your behalf. Islamic Relief still operates inside Syria under a very difficult environment. We are doing our part and I remind you to do your part and give generously to Islamic Relief USA so that we can continue to provide this important support to our brothers and sisters in Syria. And I can very comfortably testify that every night before they go to sleep, they raise their hands and they make dua for you. And we need these duas. We need the duas of these Muslim, these individuals who were leading a very decent life just a few years back. But their conditions changed and they are now suffering and they are now going through very difficult time. So please, my brothers and sisters, call 855-447-1001. Go online at irusa.org. Look at your screen and you have that donate button. So click that button and give whatever you can. As our beloved Prophet Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam reminded us where he said, even a smile is a charity. So the big question that each one of us should ask is, what am I going to do to bring a smile on the faces of this entire population who have almost forgotten to smile? So do your best, give your best, and donate generously to the work of Islamic Relief. So inshallah hopefully everyone has the opportunity to go online and donate inshallah continue to do so and uh, we'll uh, resume with the class inshallah uh, but I w definitely want you to take uh, the opportunity situation um, you know to make sure that you do head on over and inshallah complete your donations. So the second chapter of the class, the second section of the class, if you will, insha'Allah, uh, on the prophetic Ramadan, Ramadan from the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is the battle of Badr, Ghazwatul Badr. So to give you a little bit idea of the timeline, the battle of Badr occurred in the second year of Hijrah, the second year of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's residence in the city of Medina, and so therefore it is fifteen years after the first Ramadan that we talked about where the revelation started and revelation began 15 years to the day was 15 years from that point was the battle of Badr the battle of Badr occurred in the month of Ramadan and it was the 17th day of the month of Ramadan now a few lessons about this particular Ramadan from the life of the Prophet this is the first Ramadan that really looked like the Ramadan that we observe that we know today. Many of the aspects of the month of Ramadan that we are familiar with, that we implement, that we practice, um, were instituted during this particular month of Ramadan. First and foremost is that the obligation of fasting came down in this particular Ramadan. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامِ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ that O oh, you who believe, those who have claimed to have faith and believe, 
that fasting is made mandatory on you. Fasting is prescribed for you and upon you, just as it was prescribed for the people before you, so that you may develop God consciousness. You may become more conscious and cognizant and aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that occurred during this particular month of Ramadan. And so the first lesson is going to seem somewhat obvious and that is fasting is mandatory but I don't want to just emphasize the fact that fasting is mandatory of course we all know that but I want to talk about some of the virtue and the blessings of fasting you know fasting sabr in the Arabic language you know psalm uh, excuse me refers to abstinence and abstaining and refraining from something and it involves very heavily the aspect of sabr and patience and sabr uh, can also be translated as restraint discipline and restraint so the month of Ramadan is a month of fasting it's a month of learning how to restrain oneself how to discipline oneself and through that restraint and through that discipline and through that um, rigor we are able to then develop God consciousness learn to live our lives in a manner in a way that is conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the second thing that I'd like to talk about this particular, uh, from this particular Ramadan of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and as a lesson from this, you know, observation and that is the condition and the circumstances of the Muslims that existed in Mecca and the condition and the circumstances of the Muslims at the time of the Hijrah. The Muslims had gone through 13 years of extreme difficulty and adversity and tragedy, you know, um, during the 13 years of Mecca. And this Ramadan brought to them not only a sense of victory, but a sense of, you know, um, a sense of identity and allowed them to really realize, you know, their existence and their presence within the world and that they could be able to hold their heads up high about who they were and what they believed in and what they were committed to. The Muslims gave great sacrifices. A lot of times when we talk about the Hijrah, we really romanticize the notion like people were going in parades and leaving Mecca in you know, very celebratory fashions and arriving into Medina. But people were escaping in the middle of the night, barely with their lives, being hunted down, being tracked down, people trying to murder them, kill them. And, and they were arriving into Medina, sometimes barely alive, and many people lost their lives. And they arrived into the city of Medina to find a home for themselves. And this Ramadan brought for them not only spirituality, but it also brought a sense of pride and dignity and, and victory. And so Ramadan is a moment of realizing our faith and really celebrating the faith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us and bestowed upon us. The third lesson I wanted to talk about here is that the Battle of Badr, the Quran, when it talks about the Battle of Badr, it emphasizes something very profoundly. It talks about not only the sacrifice that the Muslims made, the spirit of sacrifice that the Muslims had, but it also talks about how Allah rewarded them and how Allah blessed them. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent His sakina, فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَىٰ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah sent His peace and His tranquility and His serenity and calmness down upon the believers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the angels down into the battlefield to defend the believers and to fight on behalf of the believers. And so Ramadan is a time where we have to increase and we have to really realize our spirit of sacrifice. What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to give? What are we willing to put on the line? And know for a fact and believe without a doubt that when we sacrifice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for what's right, believing in what's right and what's noble and what's correct, then 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward us by sending down His peace, His tranquility, His serenity upon us. And know for a fact that there is no blessing that is greater than peace and tranquility that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends upon the believer. But that comes to the believer who is willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice. Think about this word for a moment. It is the ability, it is the willingness to discomfort yourself. You know, the brother was talking to us about contributing and donating and, and helping. Everyone has a budget. Everyone has an amount that they've allocated. If we talk about discomfort for a moment, everyone has an amount that they set aside. And that's still very noble. And absolutely, you know, it's, it's more than welcome. And Jazakumullah uh, khairan. And may Allah reward you for donating and contributing what you had, you know, kind of budgeted and allocated. And that's very noble on your part. But what I have to ask myself is that, how much am I willing to discomfort myself though? If I understand the desperation of the situation, the severity of the situation, and I understand the nobility of the cause, to what extent am I willing to discomfort myself? And so that's another very powerful question here. And this leads me, segues right into the fourth point I wanted to make about this second Ramadan that we're observing from the life of the Prophet ﷺ here, the Ramadan of Badr. And that is the remarkable spirit of the Ansar. So here I'm going to get a little technical and throw out a few numbers and statistics and things like that at you. And I want you to um, really kind of follow along and um, pay attention here, inshallah, so you don't get lost in the numbers. So to take a step back about, you know, almost three years prior to that, the Battle of Badr. The Ansar, the Muslims of Medina, they came to Mecca um, with a very large contingency, a large delegation. They accepted Islam, they met the Prophet ﷺ, they stated their commitment, and they came with a proposal. The proposal was that they wanted the Prophet ﷺ to come to the city of Medina, bring the Muslims who are suffering in Mecca to the city of Medina, the Muslims who have been living uh, you know, as refugees in asylum in East Africa, create a home for Islam and the Prophet ﷺ and all the Muslims in their small, very humble town of Medina. It was called Yathrib and eventually would be called Medina. Al-Medina to Nabawiyah, Medina to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa The city, the illuminated, Al-Medina to Munawwara, the beautiful illuminated city of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Now, at that particular time, the uncle of the Prophet Abbas, he was very concerned. He wanted to make sure that the Ansar understood what they were getting into and the commitment that they were making. And so he came to the meeting, he insisted that he be there at the meeting. He, this was before he accepted Islam. And he said to the Prophet, uh, he basically presented to the Ansar that, do you understand, do you know what you're getting into? The Arab will turn on you. The Quraysh will declare you to be their enemy. You have to understand what you're going into. And the Ansar stated their commitment to the Prophet ﷺ. But he said, we have to have an agreement, a contract, um, some terms in place. And this is something we don't know a lot of times. And one of the terms of that particular agreement between the Ansar and the Prophet ﷺ was that the Quraysh, who have this pre-existing you know, quarrel with the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims, if they attack the city of Medina, then the Ansar will defend the city of Medina alongside of them. 
But if the Prophet ﷺ goes outside of the city of Medina to engage with the Quraysh, then the Ansar are not obligated to go and fight alongside the Prophet ﷺ. They are not legally nor religiously obligated to do so. And them not going would not be blameworthy on their part. This was written and agreed to and stamped and sealed by the Prophet ﷺ. Now keep that in mind. Now let's fast forward three years. It's the Battle of Badr. And as they're about to meet the army of the Quraysh, the Prophet ﷺ says that, we're going to be meeting this army, what do you think? And Sa'ad bin Mu'adh one of the leaders of the Ansar, one of the very beloved companions of the Prophet ﷺ, he says, O Messenger of God, I get the sense, I feel that you are talking to me, you're addressing me. Or I mean, I get the sense that you are addressing us, excuse me, the Ansar. That you are looking for our, an answer from us, from the Ansar. Well, allow me, very respectfully, to please state, O Messenger of God, that we followed you to this particular point. And we have no doubts and we would continue to follow you to the ends of the earth. And if we reach the end of land and there was only the ocean in front of us with no land in sight ahead and we have no idea what lies ahead and you dove into the ocean, we would dive in behind you. We are with you till the very end. We're never leaving your side. We're not going anywhere. And to demonstrate the spirit of the Ansar and the spirit of the Badr and the spirit of the month of Ramadan, we know that there were 313 Muslims, that there were 313 Muslims who participated in the Battle of Badr. Their names are etched into history, are documented in the Sahih of Bukhari and many other books of Sirah and Hadith, authentically narrated. 70 of the 313 were Muhajirun. Now you can do a little bit of quick math right here. That means how many remain? 243. 243 of the 313 who participated in the Battle of Badr were the Ansar. People who were not obligated to fight. People who did not have to go. Could not have been blamed for not going. But they went. Because they understood fundamentally. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised them in the Quran. وَسَابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعْهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ That Allah is pleased with them. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said, لَوْ سَلَكَ النَّاسُ وَادِيًا وَسَلَكَتِ الْأَنصَارُ وَادِيًا لَسَلَكْتُ وَادِيَ الْأَنصَارُ That if all of humanity went down a path and the Ansar went down another path, I would go the path of the Ansar. I would follow my Ansar. I would go with my Ansar. This is why the Prophet ﷺ, one time he's sitting in Medina, leaning, resting against the wall of the masjid, watching as people go by, greeting people, you know, talking to people. And a group of the women and the children of the Ansar are coming back from some gathering at one of the homes of the Ansar. And he sees them, and one narration says he sat up, one narration says he stood up, and he says, Wallahi antum nasi ilayya. nasi hubban ilayya. That I swear to God, you are the most beloved people to me. And he made dua, Allahumma ghfil ansar, wali abna'il ansar, wali awladil ansar. That, oh Allah, please. Uh, forgive the Ansar and forgive the children of the Ansar and the spouses of the Ansar and the grandchildren of the Ansar and anyone who is affiliated with the Ansar in any way, shape or form. He had so much love for them. That the Prophet ﷺ, he said at the place of Ji'irana after the Fatih of Makkah and the battles of Hunayn and Ta'if, 
that today people will go home with lots of things, but the Ansar will go home with Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so this is the spirit of Ramadan, the spirit of the Ansar and the spirit of Ramadan, that they were a people who did not ask, what do we have to do? They asked, they, they asked what more can we do? They looked for more opportunities to do as much as they could. This Ramadan let us, you know, we've become too accustomed to asking, what do we have to do or not to do? What is fard, what is not fard? Let's put that aside. That is not what the month of Ramadan is for. Let's become a people. Let's make this Ramadan about not, what do we have to do? But let's start asking what more can we do? And what more opportunities are there for us to do more and more and more and increase what we do? So inshallah again to summarize, the month of fasting, the month of patience, the month of restraint. Number two is, in spite of all the difficulty and tragedy that they had gone through, this was a moment of victory for them. Number three is that they sacrificed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewarded them by sending down peace and tranquility and blessings upon them. And number four, it's a moment and an opportunity for us to reflect on thinking about not what do we have to do, but what more can we do. That's the second lesson that we have here from the, prof- the prophetic Ramadan, the Ramadan of the Prophet ﷺ. Inshallah, once again, with the conclusion of this particular lesson, this chapter, Inshallah, I will pause here. Inshallah, Islamic Relief will be sharing with us a video um, that will really show you an inside look at exactly what's going on and how they are addressing and remedying a lot of the issues and the the tragedies that are unfolding across the world. So please, once again, give your full attention and donate generously. The Syrian conflict has left the country in ruins. It has affected the lives of millions of people. Five-year-old children have never breathed a breath in peace. Syrians have lost their homes, their livelihoods, and too many family members. Half the population is displaced, many inside their own country and others to neighboring countries or over the treacherous sea route to Europe. Cities like Aleppo continue to be destroyed and the violence is not ending. Most Syrians just want to return home, but it's unlikely that there's a home waiting for them. The country they left is not the same anymore. This Ramadan, many Syrians will have little to nothing to eat for suhoor or iftar. While we plan nice dinners with our family and friends, it's not certain if they will be able to find anything to eat at all when it's time to break their fast. Islamic Relief USA's generous community has provided aid to Syrians in need since the beginning of the conflict. More than 4 million people. You've sent urgently needed food and medicine to families inside Syria, even areas difficult to reach like Aleppo. You've sent blankets, mattresses, and winter clothes, and shoes. You've built bathrooms with showers for families living in camps to preserve their health and dignity, and you gave them necessities like soap and baby items. That's inside Syria. You've cared for Syrian refugees in other countries, too. In Jordan and Lebanon, you've sent food, shelter, medicine, and even education support so children can learn and dream of a better future. 
As some refugees cross over to Europe, you've sent teams to greet them, care for them, and show them where to go next. And during Ramadan, your food package can reach a Syrian family, and they can have something to eat for iftar. This Ramadan, we're working together to feed Syrian families. What are you working for? Donate today. Islamic Relief USA, working together for a better world. My brothers and sisters, this is a month where we plead to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept all of our good deeds. So it is like appearing in an exam. What becomes more important than actual appearance in the exam is the outcome of that exam or the result of that exam. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept all the good deeds that we are going to perform in this great month. The companions of the Prophet used to prepare for this month several months in advance. And once the month would be over, they would ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they would beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for several months asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept the good deeds that they have performed in this blessed month of Ramadan. So I remind myself and then to you to avail this opportunity, enjoy the blessings of this great month and do as many good deeds as you can so that the reward is multiplied into many, many, many folds. On your screen, you see this donate button. I would request you to click that button and give your best today. Give your contributions to our brothers and sisters in Syria. In just last three weeks, Islamic Relief was able to send several shipments of medicine. They sent 23 trucks of food, clean water and other basic necessities and other supplies to our brothers and sisters inside Syria. Islamic Relief is one of the very few NGOs that are working in Aleppo and in the Azaz area inside Syria. This is your contributions, this is your support in action. Our staff is delivering aid inside Syria in a very difficult and a very challenging environment. All we are asking you to do is go online at irusa.org or click that donate button that you see on the screen or you can call 855-447-1001. I repeat, 855 447-1001 and donate generously to our brothers and sisters in Syria. As I reminded you all earlier that there are more than 13 million people who are internally displaced. More than 7.7 .7 million people are victims of this humanitarian man-made disaster or man-made crisis. More than 5.5 million are children. Around 7 plus million people are food insecure. So we have to ask this big question, what am I going to do to reduce the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Syria? 
UN says this is one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world and we have to rise on this occasion and offer our support and our hand to our brothers and sisters in Syria. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in one simple hadith explained to us the message of this great religion of him uh, being rahmatul alameen where he said irhamu man fil ardi yarhamukum man fi sama have mercy on the people of this earth so that the one above the heavens will have mercy on you so my brothers and sisters please do your part in just last few weeks there has been so much of shelling so much of strikes more than 700 locations had air strikes all schools are closed all hospitals are running short of medicines and there are some hospitals that also got hit in the recent shelling so in this blessed month of ramadan please make lots and lots of duas but at the same time also give your financial assistance and support today is fathers day i know in america and in many parts of the world people are celebrating this day for us muslims for us believers every day is a fathers day where we express our gratitude and thanks to our beloved parents especially our father and mother my brothers and sisters once a wise man said we are among the last generation of people who used to listen to our parents and one of the first generation of people who actually listen to our children so my brothers and sisters on this blessed day give a donation on behalf of your father on behalf of your mother think about all the wonderful things that they did for you in your life they took care of you when you couldn't take care of yourself they fed you when you couldn't feed yourself they clothed you when you couldn't change your clothes they cleaned you they bathed you so this is a time when you are established when you are a professional when you are earning your own livelihood when there is a source of income for you give a small portion of that wealth and spend it for the sake of allah and help our brothers and sisters in syria this will be an amazing tribute that we all will be paying to our parents i am making this intention to do it today and i urge you to make this intention to go online click on that donate button and donate gen generously to islamic relief so that we can support our projects inside syria no amount is a small amount if you can afford a million dollars we would accept it because there is a huge need but if you feel you can give only 1 dollar i would urge you that don't hold that money back please go online at irusa.org or call us at 855-447-1001 i repeat once again the hadith of the, of our beloved prophet rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam where he said tabassumuka fi wajhi akhika sadaqa even a smile is a charity so tonight and today is a beautiful opportunity for all of us to bring a smile on the faces of an entire population who has almost forgotten to smile today is a time when we all have this god given opportunity to emulate our beloved prophet rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam who used to be extra extra generous in this blessed month of ramadan no other commandment in the holy quran has been repeated this many times as the commandment of giving 150 times allah subhanahu wa taala is asking us commanding us 
ordering us to spend in his path. وَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ وَعَتُوا الزَّكَةِ وَرْكَوْمَ مَرَاكِينَ وَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ وَعَتُوا الزَّكَةِ وَطِيَ الرَّسُولَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا وَزِلْ غُرْبًا وَالْيَتَامَ وَالْمَسَاكِينِ وَقُولُ لِلنَّاسِ حُسْنًا وَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ وَعَتُوا الزَّكَةِ ثُمَّ تَوَلَيْتُمْ إِلَّا خَلِيلًا مِنْكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ مُرِزُونَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى إِن so many places is again and again reminding us to spend in his path today our Syrian brothers and sisters are screaming for help asking for help they hope and they pray that Muslims who are leading a comfortable life in different parts of the world will rise on this occasion, will respond to their call and will go above and beyond to offer them some help and some support. I urge you to please make dua for our brothers and sisters in Syria. We hope and we pray that this man-made disaster will go away soon. We hope and we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this blessed month of Ramadan will bring ease comfort and peace into the lives of these individuals who have been going through a lot of challenges in the last five years. As I mentioned earlier, I served the Syrians in Aqila Hospital, which is right outside the capital of Jordan, Amman. Here I found so many individuals, young people whose body parts are amputated. These individuals may not be able to walk again in their life. They have young children, they have spouses, they have elderly parents in their home. Just imagine how are they going to take care of themselves? How are they going to take care of their families? This is where Islamic Relief comes into the picture. They are providing food packages. For a small donation of $80, you can sponsor a whole family up to a month. For a small donation of $80, you can bring a smile on the faces of these individuals. So do your part. Go online and be extremely generous. I can sit over here. I can tell you stories after stories. What I saw in Zatari camp. What I saw in Aqila hospital. What I saw at the border of Lebanon and Syria at Kamadan al What I saw in Saida and Beqa. I can cry and I can make you cry. But that's not going to serve the purpose. What's going to serve the purpose is your financial contributions. Your tax-exempt donations to an organization that has a long history, that has a history of serving people around the world for more than 33 years around the world. And from this great nation of ours, United States, Islamic Relief has been serving people in more than 40 countries for the last 23 years. It is He, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whoever He wills, He will bestow the honor on them. And whoever He wills, He will abase them. In His hand is good and He is able to do everything. Think for a second. If you and I don't do it, who will do it? If you and I don't do it from here, one of the most prosperous nations on earth, then from where? And if you and I don't do it now, then when? This is the question that each one of us should ask ourselves. What am I going to do to bring a positive change into the lives of these individuals? So my dear brothers and sisters, please, I urge you and I appeal to you and I request you, please go online at irusa.org or click the button, the donate button that you see on the screen or call our call center 855 855- 447-1001 and be extremely generous. Be like the Prophet who used to be extra, extra generous in this blessed month of Ramadan. Inshallah, I will come back again after a few minutes. Jazakallah khair.
Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Let's go ahead and inshallah um, continue on with the class inshallah So the third section of the class inshallah is about another very remarkable month of Ramadan from the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that is Fathu Makkah, the conquest of Makkah or the opening of the city of Makkah. Now again, let me create a little historical um, context, if you will, um, before we delve into talking about what exactly transpired and what are some of the lessons that we can take away from it and how it pertains to the month of Ramadan, inshallah. So first and foremost, the... Conquest of Mecca, Fatih Mecca, it occurred in the eighth year of Hijrah, the eighth year of the Prophet Wasallam's residence in the city of Medina. And it's in the month of Ramadan. Uh, it, is, um, it occurred on the 24th of the month of Ramadan. So, when once again you just do the math, the realization, the conclusion that we basically arrive at, that we come to, is that this is 21 years, 21 years to the beginning of Revelation. 21 years since the beginning of Revelation is the conquest of Mecca. So now, to talk a little bit about exactly what transpired. First and foremost, we of course know that for 13 years the Muslims were oppressed within Mecca. They migrated to the city of Medina. The Meccans refused to let them leave peacefully. They tried to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ, killed many Muslims, tried to assassinate and hunt down many, many Muslims. They placed a bounty on the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Eventually, once they arrived in the city of Medina, they still did not allow them to just live in peace. But they attacked them, raided them, intimidated them, allied together with other tribes and people, and launched multiple attacks on the Muslims, even on the city of Medina itself. The Battle of the Trench is a very famous example of that, where they tried to basically come and burn Medina to the ground. And so they had constantly gone through all of this. And then finally, after 21 years of turmoil, of difficulty, of trial, of tribulation, finally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them this victory. And so, one of the profound lessons is that there are moments and opportunity, there are moments and situations, circumstances within our lives where there's difficulty, there's adversity, there's struggles. And those moments are really test of our character and our fortitude. How do we respond? How do we react? See, that says a lot about somebody. You know, how you behave and conduct yourself in a very calm and peaceful situation is, is one thing. But then how do you respond to difficulty and tragedy? How do you handle adversity? That's a completely different issue altogether. And this shows us that the believers, the Prophet ﷺ, the Muslims, the believers, they conducted themselves, handled their adversity, their difficulty, their tragedy with the utmost of patience. Very calm, cool, relaxed, you know, level-headed patience, restraint. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately rewarded them at the end with such a profound, resounding victory where all of Arabia basically was put on notice that this is Islam. And that leads me to my second point. There's a very beautiful 
There's two ayats in the Quran in sequence and they're very remarkable. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That without a doubt, most definitely, with difficulty is ease. With difficulty is ease. That if we are able to conduct ourselves properly through difficulty, that will inevitably lead us, bring us to a great, profound, beautiful, remarkable ease from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna The third thing that I wanted to talk about is Nasr min Allah. The help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came after they went through difficulty. They endured it with the most beautiful of patience. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them victory. That victory, dominance, if you want to call it that, al-ghalaba, dominance, victory, is a very tricky thing. It's a very, very tricky thing. And most people do not know how to handle it, how to process it. Most people, a lot of people, struggle profoundly when they are put in that position of dominance and power and control. But it is the grind and the rigor of the difficulty, the adversity, the tests, the trials that we go through. And that really has the ability to mold and, and carve out and really galvanize our character and who we are, our ethics, our morals, our principles. That's what establishes them. That's what you know, molds people into being people of principle. And then when the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes and that victory comes, then they know how to conduct themselves. And that leads me right into my fourth point, is that at that moment and at that time, when the Prophet when the Muslims now had victory and prominence and dominance and control and the ability to exercise their will, how did they conduct themselves? What did they choose to do? I want to not, you know, I don't want to prolong this. I don't want to, um, you know, go on for too long, be too long-winded. But let me just kind of recount just for a second, for our benefit, exactly what happened and what transpired. These are the people who abused, tortured, persecuted, murdered, martyred Muslims. Sumayya, Ammar, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. These are the people that forced nearly a hundred Muslims to leave their homes and live as refugees in asylum in East Africa. Amongst them were nobles like Uthman bin Affan. Amongst them were the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His daughters, uh, his daughter uh, who was the wife of Uthman bin Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Amongst them were really notable people of Mecca like Musa bin Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu and many others. Ammar bin Yasir, that were forced out of their homes. These are the people that did that. These are the same people that assassinated, martyred the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and mutilated his body in the aftermath of the battle. These are the people who attacked the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, 
As she was leaving Mecca to go join her father and her family and her community in Medina, and they attacked, and they injured her. And eventually, she lost a child due to that attack and that injury, and eventually would succumb to the wounds and lose her life. These are the same people who did all of that. And now that the Prophet ﷺ is standing in front of them, with all of them collected there, and for lack of a better term, at his mercy, and they're standing there, and the Prophet ﷺ said, what should I do with you? What do you expect? And he said, they said, you know, you are noble, and you are the son of a noble man, and you are generous, and you are the son of a generous person, you are the best amongst us, and so on and so forth. These same people who cursed him and slandered him and tried to kill him. And the Prophet ﷺ's response in the face of that enmity and negativity and hatred and animosity and now having the, the, the control, the power to again, as I said, carry out his will. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? What did the Prophet ﷺ do? He said, I say to you what Yusuf said to his brothers. لا تثريب عليكم اليوم I have no beef with you. I have no score to settle with you. I have no axe to grind. يَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ Allah will forgive you. Make good with God. Fix things with Allah. وَهُوَ أَرْحَمُ الرَّحِمِينَ He is the most merciful of all those capable of showing mercy. Abu Sufyan, the man who at the conclusion of the battle of Uhud, Screamed from the top of the mountain before they left. Tajiduna fi qatlakum muthla. You will find that some of your dead have been mutilated. Lam amur bihi I did not tell them to do it, but I did not stop them or prevent them from doing so either. He sits in front of the Prophet and begs for mercy and kindness. And the Prophet does not exact revenge. He doesn't even remind him of it. The Prophet ﷺ extends his protection. He says, you have immunity and safety and protection. And your family is safe. And your home is a safe zone. Anyone who enters the home of Abu Sufyan is safe. To honor him. Forgiveness. Mercy. When we find ourselves in a position of authority. This is a profound lesson of the month of Ramadan. And that this ability to remain grounded to remain humble, to be merciful, to be kind, to be generous, when we are in a position of power, is developed and gained when you are going through difficulty and adversity and you have the ability to remain patient and not and have foresight and not lose sight of the promise of Allah and the ultimate goal. So this is the third lesson here from studying the Ramadan in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. I'm going to go ahead and transition into the fourth lesson that we have here, since that was a briefer lesson. The fourth lesson from the prophetic Ramadan is the last Ramadan of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. I'm going to work towards this a little bit, if you will, kind of backwards. The Prophet ﷺ passed away on a Monday. Late Monday morning, the Prophet ﷺ left this world, departed from this dunya. 
the night before, the evening before, Sunday evening. Earlier that day, Sunday, the Prophet ﷺ had gone out to the masjid and gathered the community and he had addressed everyone. Where it became very clear to everyone that the Prophet ﷺ was bidding farewell to the ummah, to the community. Later that evening, now that that was understood and realized by everyone, his family had gathered with him within his home. And the wives of the Prophet ﷺ were there. His, you know, um, uncles and cousins and the family was all there. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ were sitting immediately around him and then the rest of the family was there. And the Prophet ﷺ was in so much pain and running such a high fever. He would have his eyes closed, his eyes were burning. And he had a bowl of water next to him and he would put his hand in the bowl of water and then he would take the water and he would kind of rub the water on his face to cool himself down and off. And he would open his eyes and he would close his eyes. And Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that he looked towards the door as if almost he could feel the presence. He looked to the door and then he just locked his gaze at the door and he would not stop looking towards the door. And Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says, I noticed and I realized he must be looking at something or someone. And we all kind of realized and we turned around to look what he was looking at so intensely. And it was Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha standing at the door. The daughter of the Prophet The only of his children to survive. And she was standing at the door looking at him and he was looking at her. And, and it's as if the, like the seas parted, everyone moved aside. And Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha proceeded towards the Prophet And she came and sat by the Prophet Why does my father suffer so much? He said, لا كرب على بعد اليوم Your father will not suffer after today, beloved daughter. And the Prophet couldn't even speak too much. He was, it was hard for him to speak in these last days and moments. Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, who was very beloved to the Prophet he's known as Hibbu Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When he came to visit the Prophet he says the Prophet would raise his hands like in a dua-like motion and he would point at me. Then he would raise his hands and he would point at me because he couldn't speak and I could tell that he was making dua for me. It was hard for him to speak. So he called Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha close. And he leaned up to her ear. And he whispered something to her and she started to cry very profusely. Very tragically. Like you could sense the pain she felt. And then he called her close again. And then he whispered something into her ear and she started to smile through her tears. And then she bid him farewell. And she departed. And that was the last interaction she had with her father, the Prophet And Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that entire interaction, which is burned into my memory, I can't forget it. Something remarkable she says, she says that when Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha, when you were in her presence, you could tell that she was the Prophet daughter. She used to walk like him, talk like him. Her hand gestures when she spoke were identical to him. She was identical to the Prophet So she says that entire interaction was something that just, I could not forget. So after everybody had dealt, you know, was dealing with the departure of the Prophet and mourning and grieving, 
Shortly thereafter, I asked Aisha radiallahu ta'ala, I said, she asked Fatima, please tell me about that interaction. And Fatima radiallahu ta'ala, she said that when I came to see him, I hadn't really fully made peace with the fact that he was leaving, he was departing. And so when he called me close, what he whispered to me was that Fatima, I am in fact leaving. And at that moment, it became real to me. And he said, I've known since Ramadan. This is why I'm mentioning this. I've known since Ramadan. And I'll come back to this in just a second. But then I started to cry when this became a reality. I was going to lose him. But then he called me close again and he whispered to me that, however, you will be the first for my family to join me. And that brought a smile to my face. Now what did he mean by I've known since Ramadan? He goes on to elaborate, to explain that every Ramadan, Jibreel alayhi salam, he comes to me and whatever has been revealed from the Qur'an, you know, I recite to him, I read with Jibreel. But this past Ramadan, we reviewed whatever had been revealed, the majority of the Qur'an, we uh, we reviewed it not once but twice. And that gave me a very strong indication that the end was near. That the time was coming. The last Ramadan, you know, every single Ramadan since Ramadan was instituted in the city of Medina, the Prophet ﷺ would spend the last 10 days and nights of the month of Ramadan in the Atikaf, in confining himself to the masjid. But in the last Ramadan of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't spend only 10 days, he spent 20 days in the Atikaf. He increased his time in the masjid. He increased his time with Allah. He increased his time of reflection and contemplation and introspection. Number two is the Qur'an, as I mentioned. The Qur'an was reviewed once every Ramadan. This Ramadan with Jibreel was reviewed twice. He increased his interaction with the Qur'an and his time and his commitment to the Book of Allah in that last Ramadan. Surah Al-Nasr was revealed around this time. إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ That the help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is coming and the victory. And what it instructed and advised the Prophet ﷺ to do, فَاسْتَغْفِرْ فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ So praise and glorify your Lord and ask for forgiveness. Repent and reconcile. Ask Allah for forgiveness. Turn back to Allah. Connect your heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course the Prophet ﷺ is free of you know, sin and blame and free of heedlessness and ghafla. But it was instructed to him as a lesson and a reminder to us. And he demonstrated it, realized it, implemented it as a means of inspiring us to connect to Allah. So from this last Ramadan of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, a few lessons. Increase your time in the masjid in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The masjid is the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Masajidu buyutullahi alilat. Ahabbul illallah. They are the most beloved places on the earth to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the awwala baytin wudi alin nas. The first place of worship established on the face of the earth is the Kaaba. Every single masjid is a branch, a satellite of the Kaaba. So connect yourself to the mercy of Allah and endear yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by connecting yourself to the masjid, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
If you can do all 10 days of i'tikaf this Ramadan, do so. If you can't, we have a very fascinating principle in our religion. If you can't do all of something, don't forsake some of it. Don't miss out on doing at least a part of it, a portion of it. So at least take out some time to commit some time to the masjid. It might be a day, it might be a weekend, it might be a few days. But do so. People say, I have work. We take, we, we take days off from work. We use vacation days for personal reasons, for vacationing, for having a good time, for having fun, for weddings. Maybe I can take a couple of days off of work, apply a couple of those vacation days, because I want to strengthen my relationship with Allah. And be a person of the masjid. Number two is Qur'an. Really, I talked about the Qur'an in the first point, and I had mentioned it there that I would come back to this point. Really increase your commitment to the Qur'an. And then finally utilize this Ramadan, especially now we're in pretty much into the second half of the month of Ramadan. We're right here at the half point. That utilize this as an opportunity to repent and, and, and fix your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And reconnect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now somebody could say, this is the last Ramadan of the life of the Prophet How are we taking lessons from it? What I would say is, we never know what our last Ramadan will be. There are so many people who were here with us last Ramadan, they're not here with us this Ramadan. And it breaks our heart. And we make dua for them and we miss them and we pray and our, send our prayers and heartfelt condolences to their loved ones, their family members. But we very well could be one of those people that are being spoken about in the same manner next Ramadan. So we have to treat this like this is the last and the final opportunity. Make it the best Ramadan you've had up to this particular point. So that's the fourth lesson that we have here of the prophetic Ramadan. The beginning of Revelation, the battle of Badr, the conquest of Mecca, and the last Ramadan of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, inshallah, we're going to, you know, hear once again uh, from the folks at Islamic Relief USA, IRUSA, inshallah, and um, we're gonna once again, you know, really seek out an opportunity to benefit ourselves and to be able to serve the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ, serve the Deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And before I kind of segue us into the video that inshallah we're going to be watching and then hearing from the, from the Islamic Relief folks, I wanted to kind of mention something. You know, we talked about Medina. When the Prophet ﷺ arrived in the city of Medina, he gave a few advices on how to build a community. He said, Afshu um, salam, spread peace. And feed people. Islamic Reliefs put together a really amazing opportunity where there's a food package where you can feed someone for the entire month for $80. You know, I'm not a fan of, you know, um, guilting people into doing something. But I, I don't see it as guilt, I see it as a little bit of a reality check for myself. I'm just saying this out loud. Maybe you can benefit from this, but I'm saying this out loud to myself. That I know I've gone to a restaurant and spent $80 on one meal. And here we're talking about feeding somebody for an entire month for $80. It's really, you know, something to give some very serious thought to. And so inshallah, um, please watch the video, pay attention, and then inshallah, 
um, really once again seize the opportunity. Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. My dear brothers and sisters, again, this is your brother in Islam, Azhar Aziz, with Islamic Relief USA. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us in Surah Al-Ma'idah where he says, وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّخْوَى وَلَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْإِسْمِ وَالْدْوَانِ وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِدُ الْإِخَابِ Help one another in righteousness and piety, and do not help one another in sin and transgression, and fear Allah, indeed Allah is severe in punishment. On one side, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Ghafoor Rahim, the most kind, the most gracious, the most compassionate, the most merciful. On the other side, his severe in punishment. Islamic Relief, besides collecting money for our brothers and sisters in Syria, they are collaborating with groups such as Interaction to advocate and to influence government officials to support humanitarian aid for our brothers and sisters in Syria. We are advocating to support many different things. A peaceful solution to the conflict, increase in the quantity and quality of humanitarian aid, improving the conditions of refugees in host countries, increasing the resettlement of refugees in US. And in this regard, we are also providing programming with different groups such as CARE Care, Save the Children, Syria Relief and Development, Oxfam, Syrian American Medical Society to educate the public on the life of refugees in the camps. When I was in Zatri camp, which is just two hours away from the capital of Jordan, Amman, and when I saw the living conditions of our brothers and sisters who suddenly became refugees, I looked at their lives and compared their lives with my life, the standard of living that I have and the standard of living that my American Muslim brothers and sisters have. I can guarantee you, my dear brothers and sisters, if you compare their life with yours, you will never ever complain about life. For them, a packet of sugar is considered as luxury of life. A small packet of ketchup is considered as luxury of life. 
So this is the condition that these individuals are living in. During extreme weather conditions, during extreme cold, during snowing, in Zatri camp, these people are shivering from cold. They are living in extreme weather conditions. So please respond to our call today. In this blessed month of Ramadan, when we are reaching out through this medium to thousands and thousands of people who are watching this very important webinar, benefiting from the knowledge and wisdom of our beloved Sheikh, Sheikh Abdul Nasser Jangra, I urge you also to participate and do some work of khair. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam reminded us where he said, khairun nasi anfaum nas." The best among you are those who are a source of benefit to others. So tonight, today, you have this beautiful opportunity to provide some sort of a benefit to our brothers and sisters in Syria. You see the donate button on your screen. Click on that donate button and be extremely generous. As I said earlier, if you can afford a lot of money to give, please be very generous. But if you feel you can give only a small portion of your wealth, a small amount, don't hold this money back. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used five different words for charity in the Holy Quran. Number one is zakat, which is an obligatory giving on all of us. Number two is sadaqat that we give on a volunteer basis. Number three is khairat that we give to earn good deeds. Number four is ihsan that we give out of kindness and consideration. And number five is infaq fi sabilillah that we give for the sake of Allah in the path of Allah. This is a month of generosity. I remind myself first and then to you to fulfill your obligation and give your zakat. Zakat is not a favor of the rich upon the poor. It is the right of the poor upon the rich. This is the right that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given it to them. So none of us has the right to deprive them of this God-given right. In chapter 9, Surah Tawbah, verse number 60, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explained to us who are the eight different categories of individuals who are entitled to receive our zakat. In one verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explained to us who are the eight different categories of individuals who are entitled to receive your zakat. He did not leave this issue to an emperor or a king. He did not even leave this issue to an alim or a scholar. He did not even leave this issue upon any prophets. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself explained to us who are the eight different categories of individuals who are entitled to receive your zakat. So be extremely generous. Pick up your phone and call 855-447-1001. I repeat the number 855-447-1001. If you are living in states, you can write a check and put it in the mail and send it to 2600 K Avenue, Suite Number 170, Plano, Texas, 75074. I'll repeat the address one more time. 2600 K Avenue, Suite Number 170, Plano, Texas, 75074. Send your Zakatul Mal, Zakatul Fitr, Sadaqa, Fidya, to Islamic relief so that this money can be distributed among these individuals. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in one place reminds us where he says, 
A human being in their lives need two things. And each one of us strive and struggles to have these two important things in our lives. Food and security. We are blessed to live in this great nation of ours where we have security and food. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world, they don't have neither food nor security. And they are making sacrifices every single day. So please do your part to provide them food. Many times people ask me, what does Islamic relief means to you? I tell them that when we go on the field and when we meet a young child who has not eaten a full plate of meal and suddenly he sees a hot plate of meal, the sparkle that comes in his eyes when he sees that food, this is what Islamic relief means to us. Yes, Islamic relief is one of the largest Muslim charity that we have in the world. Yes, for our friends from the other faith, they look at Islamic relief as a very transparent, very professional Muslim charity. For the government, they look upon Islamic relief as a four-star charity. But for me, when I interact with an orphan, with a widow, with someone who is in desperate need, and when they suddenly see a month of ration, food packages that will help them to sustain themselves for an entire month, the smile that comes on their face, this is what Islamic relief means to me. When I see that sparkle in, in the eyes of a young child, when he, says, when he sees an, or when she sees a hot plate of meal, this is what Islamic relief means to me. So my dear brothers and sisters, please be extremely generous. Avail this opportunity. You are benefiting tremendously through this webinar and there is a lot of food for your spirituality. But at the same time, I urge you to think about the hunger and the thirst and the challenges that our brothers and sisters are going through, especially in Syria. And ask this question, what am I going to do to bring some comfort, some ease, and some peace into the lives of these individuals? Once a philosopher said that one day the sun asked the entire world during sunset, who will work in my absence? Who is going to provide the light to this whole world. Everyone remained silent except a candle said, I will try my best. It is not the size but the attitude that shines. Every single penny, every single dollar will bring a positive change and will have a positive impact on the lives of these individuals. So please call us at 855-447-1001 or click that donate button that you see on your screen. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. So insha'Allah, um, to kind of review and recap, inshallah, um, you know, reviewing is very important in terms of uh, knowledge and learning. It's very important, the repetition and the review of the knowledge. So we've been talking about the prophetic Ramadan. Ramadan from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the best of humanity in the best month. 
and we specifically observed four very prominent um, you know, experiences of Ramadan from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, from the beginning of Revelation and how that taught us about the month of Ramadan being uh, an opportunity for transformation, the Qur'an being a book of transformation, to Ramadan being an opportunity to really establish a connection with the Qur'an and the Book of Allah. Number three, Ramadan being a time of charity, and, and displaying mercy to the creation of Allah. To number four, the importance of developing our character this Ramadan. We talked about the Battle of Badr occurring during the month of Ramadan. How fasting, that restraint, that control, that discipline is so essential. Number two, we talked about this, the struggles and the suffering of the Muslims brought them to this particular victory. Number three, we talked about how the Muslims willing to sacrifice even everything that they had, everything that they were, brought them that peace and tranquility from God. And then we talked about the spirit of the Ansar, that Ramadan is not an opportunity, for, it's not in a moment where we ask, what, what do I have to do? What must I do? But it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to ask the question, what more can I do? What other opportunities are out there for me? We talked about Fath Makkah, the conquest of Makkah, the great victory. It was in the month of Ramadan. How the sacrifices, that the, the, the difficult times the Muslims had gone through, the Prophet had gone through, and the, how they were patient and, and level-headed throughout those difficulties. How that then eventually, as the Qur'an promises, brought them to a time of ease and facilitation. But number three that the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came to their rescue. And then fourthly and finally, that they conducted themselves with such dignity that humanity has never seen before. Such dignity in a moment of victory over one's enemy. That that was the month of Ramadan. And then the last Ramadan of the life of the Prophet where he teaches us a few lessons and reminds us Increase your time in the masjid, the house of Allah. Number two is increase your time with the Qur'an. Number three is that appreciate, recognize the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your life. And number four, use this as an opportunity to repent and really fix whatever gaps or problems there may be in your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are the lessons of the prophetic Ramadan. And I want to really end and conclude here by encouraging everyone to really seize that opportunity and to take the opportunity to do as much as we can. And I wanted to list off a few action items. Number one is really, I know I've said this already, but the action items are number one, make a daily regimen. It can be portion, size, or it can be time. But have a daily regimen with the Qur'an, with the Book of Allah. Number two is the Prophet ﷺ would not only just engage in worship himself, but the Prophet ﷺ would wake up his family to worship with him in the last part of the night. Make this a, what I like to call a family-friendly Ramadan. A lot of times because spirituality is such an emphasis in Ramadan, everyone thinks that they have to kind of operate in their own independent silos, spiritual silos. But we can do this together as a family. 
pray together, read Qur'an together, make dua together, wake each other up and really motivate each other, go for taraweeh together. But really use this as an opportunity to bond as a family upon something that is much stronger than any other bond. And that is your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the love of Allah and the love of, of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Thirdly, the third action item I would give is that, like I had mentioned before, that try to spend at least some time in i'tikaf. Seclude yourself, kind of restrict yourself, confine yourself to the masjid. Number four is give charity this Ramadan, but not just what was budgeted, what was allocated, but as I said before, inconvenience yourself, discomfort yourself, make a sacrifice and give something. The Sahaba did not have enough to eat and yet they found a way to give. So we got to find a way to give and we got to find a way to give a lot more. And the last and the final thing that I'll mention that I came across in some of my just readings and you know, kind of research and observations here about the month of Ramadan that I found was very, very fascinating. And that is, you know, obviously Ramadan is in the summer months this, you know, around this, these years, uh, last couple of years and even this year. And um, the days are long. And the heat can be very intense. You know, we're, we're here in Texas and um, it's, it can get pretty hot and pretty dry. And a lot of times people will complain about that or will find that to be difficult. One of the fascinating things I found was that the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they were very particular about, you know, the, the reward. They were very vocal and very cognizant of the reward that comes with fasting during long, hot, difficult days, the days of summer. That Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he was on his deathbed, he said one of the regrets that he had was that he did not fast more during the long, hot days of the summer. Because he said that thirst that you feel when fasting on those long, dry, hot days of summer, that quenches the thirst and relieves the thirst that you feel at the time of death. Subhanallah. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he was on his deathbed, that when he was on his deathbed, he, gave, he was giving some parting advice to his son Abdullah, Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And one of the things he gave him was, that alayka bi khisalil iman i want you to be a person of faith and have the qualities and attributes of faith wa samma awwalaha as-sawm fi shiddatil harri fi as-sayf and he said one of the first qualities of the believers is that they fast throughout the long hot days of the summer um abu bakr radiyallahu ta'ala anhu fascinating about him he used to fast optionally more during the summer than he even did during the winter because of the rigor of it and because of the sweetness of faith and iman that he could taste during it. So yes, I know the summers are hot and long, but stay strong, stay committed to the month of Ramadan and the spirit of the month of Ramadan, and really make the most of this opportunity and be inspired by the example of the Prophet ﷺ. One of the things that I wanted to correct that I had mentioned previously was that I was talking about how when sacrificing and giving and feeding, that um, the food package that Islamic Relief prepared is $80 per person for a whole month. I was actually corrected. It's $80 for an entire family. 
I was just astounded when I was reminded of that. $80 for an entire family to feed them for a month. And I, I, and I want to take this opportunity to share a little personal story that when I was young and um, when I earned a little bit of money, just, you know, you do odd jobs when you're a teenager, mow somebody's lawn, cut somebody's grass, and, you know, you earn a little cash on the side. First time I earned a little cash on the side, one of the things that, you know, my parents instilled within me was that they made me sign up for an orphan sponsorship program. And this, the purpose of that was so that I gain and develop a sense of responsibility. That I have a responsibility to the ummah. I have a responsibility towards humanity. And the same thing with my younger sister and my younger brother. And from that point on, my own life, for the last 25 years, that's been something that I contribute to on a monthly basis and started 25 years ago. And it's something that's very, very important. I want to encourage each and every single person that before you, you know, um, put your phone down, before you log out of your computer, shut your laptop, however it is that you are tuning in, before you do that, you head over to Islamic Relief's website, irusa.org. And there are two things I'd like you to do. I want you to sign up for an orphan sponsorship today. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. The fact that some people are doing this remarkable work does not absolve me of my responsibility. I have to stand before Allah and answer. And the second thing is that every single person should sponsor a food package, at the very least. It's just, it's unimaginable that what we would, you know, drop on one meal at a restaurant, that it could feed a family for a whole month. It's just, it's something that, you know, has the ability to keep you up at night just thinking about it. So inshallah, before, like I said, you put down your phone, you log out, you close your laptop, go and sponsor an orphan, and sponsor a food package, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, um, ease the tragedy and the difficulty and the suffering across the world, our brothers and sisters everywhere. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to make the most of this month of Ramadan. Jazakumullah khairan. I really want to thank everyone for tuning in and uh, logging on to the program. For somebody who might have kind of logged in right now or towards the end or, you know, maybe it's kind of cut a little bit in and out, we, we actually received a lot more um, traffic than we had initially expected. And so there were some technical difficulties. What we've done is, inshallah, we have the entirety of the program recorded. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be replaying the broadcast. We're going to be rebroadcasting this, inshallah, um, a few times tonight at midnight. Because I know a lot of people, they got to get home from taraweeh. Um, and then they kind of, they, they look for something to tune into uh, to be able to learn and benefit, inshallah. So there's a class, there's an opportunity to give and donate and implement what you're learning. So it'll be replayed and rebroadcast, inshallah, at midnight tonight. It will again be rebroadcast tomorrow at noon for anyone who's a little bit more keen on the daytime. Maybe you go to sleep a little bit earlier. So it'll be tomorrow at noon again. And then again tomorrow at midnight. 
So the purpose of me informing you of this is I want you to really spread the word for everyone. Um, if you come back to the Facebook page, inshallah, there will be a flyer, there will be a graphic announcing the rebroadcast, the replaying of the uh, webcast and the stream. So please share that with everyone. Spread the word and let's get as many people as we can to learn from the prophetic Ramadan and to also invest into this opportunity to be able to serve the Ummah of the Prophet So insha'Allah, before we head out, uh, one last final time insha'Allah, uh, let's go ahead and uh, tune into this video and then insha'Allah Brother Azar Aziz will come and um, you know, give us another opportunity to be able to do our part and then insha'Allah we'll bid everyone farewell. أطفال يجوا بالغرفة بيصيحوا بيصيحوا بيبكوا بيناجدوا الله أنا غير هير بالموقف هذا ما ينفع غير رب العالمين أطفالي وزوجتي فاتوا تحت البحر وليت ساعتين أسبح دور الأولادي أتوجه أنه يطلع طفل أم زوجتي أم أي شخص الناس البقية طائفة على ظهرها وطائفة على ميتة من البرد باتوا بعد ساعتين جانا زورك صيد نقمنا بعد 12 يوم طلعوا لي بنت قال لي هاي بتعرفت ماي بنتي ساجدة تعرفت على أربع أطفال من أطفالي البارحيات سلموني أولادي استلمت جثثهم اليوم بعتهم على سوريا توابيتهم ميتين جبتهم أحياء رجعوا ميتين جبتهم على أوروبا تعيشهم حياة مثل بقية الناس العايشة أما حكي بابني ابني فقط ما هتبني محاكي بني أقول له يلا أبوي محمد مشي وبالعادة يبل معي متولع فيه صور يعني أبدل أولاده شنور يعني بتقول شنور عايش يعني إن لله خلا هذا قدر الله Once again, Assalamu Alaikum. Thank you so much for tuning in. I just want to remind myself first and then to you that on this Father's Day, I know as believers, as Muslims, for us every day is a Father's Day. But today is a special day in an American context 
And I, I want to remind each one of you that give generously on behalf of your father. Honor your parents because they, 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 our parents are one of the greatest blessings that we have. And those individuals who have lost their parents, please donate on their behalf. Think about all the things that they have done for you when you couldn't do anything for yourself. They bathed you, they cleaned you, they fed you, they took care of you. They stayed all night when you were sick. They sacrificed and made huge sacrifice to take care of all your needs. This is a time for all of us to pay back. And I remind myself and then to you, honor your parents, take care of them. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Holy Quran has reminded us where he says, Be kind and dutiful towards your parents. So my dear brothers and sisters, I remind you on this Father's Day, be extremely generous and think about our brothers and sisters in Syria. Last year, we saw this young boy by the name of Aylan Kurdi. He was a three years old boy who was found at the shores of Turkey. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought this boy, the dead body of this boy, intact without any fish bites, without any scratches. And he was found on the shores of Turkey. And that picture went viral. And it even opened up the hearts of many of our friends from the other faiths. Europe opened up its gates to accommodate hundreds and thousands of refugees. These are the stories of these individuals who were leading a very decent life but lost it all. I remind myself and then to you with this very beautiful verse, مَنْ زَلَّزِي يُخْرَدُ اللَّهَ خَرْضًا حَسْنًا فَيُدَائِفَهُ لَهُ أَضَافًا قَصِيرَةً وَاللَّهُ يَقْبِضُ وَيَبْسُطُ وَلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ Who is he who is going to give a goodly loan to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So that Allah may multiply the reward into many folds. It is Allah who increases or decreases your provision and to him we shall return. I want to share with you a story that happened during the lifetime of our beloved Prophet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There was a sahabi by the name of Abu Dahd al-Ansari radiallahu an who came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and asked him, O Prophet of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is our creator, who is our sustainer, who is our provider, he needs a loan from us? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said yes. So he asked for the hand of the Prophet and he grasped it and with a lot of excitement he said, I will loan my farm to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abdullah ibn Masood says that at that time his farm had 600 palm trees. It was considered as abundance of wealth. He went home and told his wife, Ummah Dahda, let's leave this place because I have given it as a loan to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These were the great companions of the Prophet sallallahu who would listen to a verse and implement it immediately. And today we have this beautiful opportunity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put you and me in a position to give. We are not in a position where we have to extend our hand and ask for help. So think about those individuals who have nothing, who has lost everything. So rise on this occasion, in this blessed month of Ramadan, click on that donate button, call 855-447-1001. In conclusion, as the Prophet ﷺ reminded us where he said, Man lam nas, la yashkurullah. A person who is not thankful to his fellow being cannot be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala either. So I want to express my deepest thanks and gratitude on behalf of Islamic Relief USA to Khalam Institute and my beloved Sheikh, Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangra for their help, for their support, for their time to our brothers and sisters who are suffering in Syria for the important work that Islamic Relief USA does. With that, inshallah, I will hand over the mic to my beloved Sheikh, Sheikh Abdul Nasir. So inshallah, as 
Brother Aziz, uh, Brother Azar Aziz, he explained and really framed very well. This is no longer a conversation about, you know, what can be done or what should be done. This has become a conversation of what needs to be done, what has to be done. And this is a situation, the Prophet ﷺ, he cried for his ummah, he bled for his ummah, he wept for his ummah. These are the people that the Prophet ﷺ loved so dearly, that he made dua for them. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, one time the Prophet ﷺ came home and he just in a kind of a playful manner, like a moment between husband and wife, he said, do you want anything? Ask for anything that you want and I'll give it to you. And she said, make dua for me, O Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ made dua for her, may Allah forgive all the sins of Aisha, the, 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 the big and the small, and the public and the private, and the morning and the evening, all the sins. And she became so excited. And the Prophet ﷺ said, this pleases you so much? This is the same dua I make for my entire ummah after every single prayer. These are the people the Prophet cried for, that he made dua for. And we have to really take a long hard look in the mirror and see if we're doing what we can do and what we're capable of doing. So inshallah, I'll end and conclude with a dua that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our worship in this blessed month of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our fast in this month of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to stand in prayer during this month of Ramadan. May Allah make us from amongst the people of the Qur'an in this month of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive all of our sins in this month of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this Ramadan a means of transformation in our lives. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this a Ramadan that brings peace and dignity to humanity worldwide. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be the means of bringing that peace and dignity to humanity worldwide. Amin Ya Rabbil Alameen. Again, please head on over to IRUSA.org and contribute and donate. And may Allah reward all the folks at Islamic Relief for the amazing work that they do. Jazakumullah khairan. Once again, I want to thank everyone for logging in, for viewing. Remember, we're going to be having uh, the rebroadcast and the replays, inshallah, of the webcast. So if you've benefited from this today, spread the word to others. And um, let's try to get as many people to contribute as we can, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.